Welcome back to the kitchen, everybody, with your hosts, Joshua and Carlos, with, and a very special guest, Manuel Costa. Today, we are going to be sort of diving into the culinary world. We're going to be um, touching up on a different few aspects. I guess we'll start off with, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? What, uh, talk about yourself, introduce yourself, you know? <laughs> All right. <That's> it. Well, <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Manuel Costa. Uh, so for the last, well, I'm supposed to be a year, but the last eight months, me and my fiance, we were uh, traveling the world. We did about three, four months in Europe, did one in the States, and then we were going through Southeast Asia. We were supposed to continue looping around around the world that way. But as we all know, COVID-19 happened. And uh, mid-March, we had to call it kind of quits after all the lockdowns. We almost got stuck in the Philippines, and then now we ended up coming back. So now we're kind of quarantined and hanging us out. <laughs> um, but throughout our travels, we basically would do cooking classes, almost uh, as many countries as we could, just to get to know the food, the ingredients, and honestly get to learn how the chefs cook in that area. And it's been mind-blowing. It's been really fun seeing the differences from here back in the States and just how everybody else does things. To add to that, what so what would be, what do you think is the biggest difference from the culinary world outside of America? I guess the way you see the food out there, um, and how they eat it, how they, you know, they, they make the plates, how they get their ingredients. What, what do you think is the biggest uh, difference? I think the biggest thing is that people are more aware of what they put into their body outside of the States. Um, they are aware and they care. So, for example, here you're in a rush. You just go get some fast food. You don't care. It's food right. in, food out. But over there, everything is local. Uh, they know the farmers, they know the people, and they care about the actual quality of the ingredients. Uh, and even the countries themselves, the, the governments, they have so many more rules and uh, just strict guidelines that they have to abide by to be able to get something like a, like a seal onto their product. Uh, here's a quick example. Uh, the, the cheeses in Italy, uh, the Parmigiano Reggiano has to be from this region with XYZ amount of milk, the, the wine in Chianti, before they bottle it, you have to get somebody to certify it. Uh, the Wagyu beef in Japan has to be from this kind of cattle and they have to certify it. It's just, they, there's a lot more uh, control in the quality of products. But honestly, we don't care here because the consumer doesn't care. But everywhere else, consumers care and they demand that kind of quality. And for me, that's the biggest difference. Okay. Uh, kind of to kind of touch up on that, I think they do care, but not in the way that that we would traditionally care about food. Uh, one of the biggest things is the lack of uh, information, which causes people to freak out about GMOs. I've had people say something about um you know gmos are the reason why some people aren't as smart as they should be you know it's it's, it's making the kids dumb that's that's literally what i've had an uber driver tell me i <laughs> she said it's making my kids dumb uh, it's not gmos are friendly they're they're just genetically modified um organic food and they're modified to, to ensure better quality and um, better shelf life in, in the general sense. They're not harmful in any kind of way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, the one things that I do take into consideration when it comes to like produce like that is the types of pesticides and just the care that they go through um, some people, once you get to mass production, the quality just goes down a little bit. Right. But, but yeah, just hybrids of some things shouldn't be that much of an issue. Right. I mean, bananas. Um, 
bananas are a GMO and they have been for since the fifties. So it'd be like what, uh, 70, 80 years. Um, because from my understanding and my knowledge, um, the banana genus population, it almost died out because of a certain pesticide. Mm. And so they had to, they had to, I think that was probably the earliest instance of GMO from my understanding. Yeah, I think it's like knowledge. I think that's the biggest thing is knowledge has to, um, it's hard to do the research for food if you're not caring about what goes into your body or you care about what you're putting out on a plate. I think that's, it goes both ways. I think like chefs, or anyone that works in the culinary world has to care about what they're putting on a plate and also vice versa, the people eating the, you know, per se customers um, have to care about what they're putting in their body too. Mm. So like I've, I've also heard GMOs uh, from, from what I've heard it, it was the ideas behind GMOs were to create um, food for like mass population. So like if, we had too many people in the world, we could still have something to eat, um, which is interesting to say, at least I, I don't know much of the effects of the body. That's something that I, I would have to do a lot more research, but um, I don't think there it's bad for the, for the body. I, I wouldn't necessarily use it in a plate because I believe in, I think natural growing, you know, farm to table. That's, I think that's where you get your best products, you know, is it more expensive? Yeah, but you 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 pay you pay what you get. You know, if we go to McDonald's and we eat, you know, we spend nine dollars, whatever. I could go to a farmer's uh, farmer's market and probably make a much better meal for my family for maybe you know I'd say two or three more bucks. It's much. It's worth the the three dollar difference. You know, you're eating better. You have, you also have family time. I think that's a big thing. Like the connection, you know, we don't have a connection if we go to like, let's say a Chili's or something like that. If you go to a more, uh, a better restaurant, like better environment, um, that they understand what's going on the plate, you have a much more connection with the customer and it helps in different ways other than just your body. You know, you, you truly connect with, with someone. And I think that's the main, one of the main goals as being a chef. Um, it's, it's about the love that you put in the plate. So. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's being said, what, uh, what started this? Uh, you, you told us you never went to culinary school. You're doing some classes here and there. You've gone to classes in other countries. Yeah. What, uh, what are your goals? What do you want to do? You know, what's your, uh, what's yeah. the next thing for you? Whenever this quarantine ends, cause it's going to come to an end. We have to do it correctly, but it, it eventually everyone's going to be traveling. We're going to get back into, into the swing of things. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully soon. <laughs> but um, honestly for me, so this year that we kind of set out to travel, every single country I went to was its first time. I'd never been there before. So I didn't know what to expect. I didn't understand the culture. I didn't understand anything. And honestly, the best way to learn is just by their food and not having a personal translator or anything like that. We would just get cooking classes. And when you stay, for example, in an Airbnb and they have their bed and breakfasts with the cooking classes included, you get to stay with the family, you get to cook with them, you get to learn from them. And it was just a really nice learning experience. Like, and you just learn all the little nuances. So it started out that way, just trying to understand a little bit more and kind of expand the horizon. And then we just started filming and I wanted to teach people. Uh, we started a cooking channel. Uh, so we have a cooking channel on YouTube. It's called Dish It All Out. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well. And what I try to do is show different recipes and show the ingredients and we're going to get into more of the individual kind of epiphanies that I've had abroad. Uh, for example, I've seen some ingredients that I've just never heard about before. Like uh, in Thailand, they have this 
kind of root vegetable that's almost like a uh, like a ginger and a lemon. Uh, it's it's like a ginger root and a lemongrass kind of hybrid called galang root. So like that's what gives the Penang curries uh, that distinctive thing, like flavor. And I'm like, oh, I never knew what this was, or like a special kind of lime. I think it's Khalif lime. Uh, forget. I'm sorry for the pronunciation, but they they just got different ingredients that. That's what gives it so special that when you try to recreate it at home and you don't have those individual things, that's what's missing. So discovering all those ingredients and all the things, and then now you kind of know what to look for because if you go to a specialty market here, maybe an Asian market or an Indian market, you know what's going, like what it is there. Because before I even left, I was like, why does anybody go anywhere else besides like a Publix or a Walmart or something that has everything all in one? Like, why do they have all these little specialty markets? And now I get it. It's because you can't find those things. And everything else is just commercially processed or it's, it's just not the same. So, yeah, I just want to show people that you can do this at home. Trying to bring back home the learning and the experiences that I brought so you can just learn from that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think um, actually my question on that is uh, – traveling around the world that that's not um that's not a financially easy task you know um there's a lot of people that would absolutely love to do it uh what would you think is the best way to go about that to actually go out there and experience culture firsthand Mm. so it's it's definitely not something you can just wake up and just go uh it took a lot of hard work and planning we were Mm -hmm. saving up for almost about four years and I'm, I'm very meticulous when it comes to finances. Uh, mm. So we've had budgets and spreadsheets and everything kind of laid out, had a nice, good estimate. Uh, we've been blessed that our investments have been good. So we make a little bit off of that. And honestly, it's all about planning. But the mo- I think the most important part is before you even start is think about what you want to get out of it first. Like, what do you care about? Like, if you are somebody that's into the ocean, seafood, mm. beaches, why are you going to go to uh, a desert in Africa? Or if you care no about... Water over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but a lot of people just kind of feel obligated or almost like forced to experience this thing. But if they don't really care about it, why are you wasting your time, money, and energy on it? So like, it takes a minute to really put your dream together and mm-hmm. then go execute on it. So, I mean, your plans have to have plans in order to make it sort of feasible. Um, like, I, if I were to travel, I would absolutely love to travel uh, around the UK region and then possibly the more popular parts of Europe, definitely France. Um, I would absolutely love to dive into Germany and experience their culture spain italy i would absolutely love to go to those countries but then also go to countries that you know i at first wouldn't have any interest in going to going over there like the netherlands um it's not really on my sort of travel agenda but i i want to say why not why not just go over there and see what they're doing uh what can i experience there uh, I want to sort of start this uh, this chain of why not go to this place and experience these things. In the the Netherlands is is I was watching uh, Uncharted by Gordon Ramsay. He does an episode in in Netherlands, and they have a real their almost their mentality is so different. Like they almost treat their food. In fact, some of their food is treated like like it's almost religious. Not not to use that word, but it's like a like a higher power type thing. And it, it's, it's extremely interesting. And I, and, and I love that, you know, like, I don't know if I would go that far, but like, it's super cool how like he went diving for a certain type of sea. Uh, I think it was like a clam sort of <clears throat> that you need, like, it's kind of like not farmed and it's naturally grown there. And it's only in that region. And it's like a number only certain uh, people could go and then it's only a certain amount of uh, items or that particular um, animal you can only take like one or two of them I don't remember the exact number but it's even Netherlands it 
super interesting culinary world. <clears throat> I think I really want to go to the Amazon. I'm super interested to go there someday. Um, I think anywhere where you're getting knowledge is um, just to learn. I think that's the biggest thing is, but I think what Manny said, you, you have to have a plan and you have to know why you're going there. Cause it makes no sense. Like you said, like the desert, where are you going to go to the desert? There's no damn water. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. he, actually research what you're going to go to see before you go. But at the same time, leave flexibility. Like for example, we did eight months of continuous travel. There's no way in how I had something planned every day, you know, <laughs> like, Honestly, the best way to travel is if you've got a week, have one to two things you really want to do and the rest, just let it happen because you get there and you meet somebody and they're like, oh, you should, there's a festival going on like tomorrow. You should go to that. Hey, there's this thing. Oh, you like uh, seafood? There is this perfect restaurant that's like an hour away. You, should, you have to go see it like, or go fishing or go do something. And those kind of sporadic things that you learn because you can't just Google things. I mean, you could, but it's not, you won't get that local advice, you know? And, and that's honestly, we've had the best experiences from recommendations from people there. So a lot of people just try to jam pack their vacations and do like little sprints and they come back and they're exhausted because they're like, wake up at six, go run and see this museum and then go eat here, come back. And you, when you do that for seven days straight, you need a vacation from your vacation. (laughs) Yeah, they they try to compress it like it's yeah. uh, like it's two days at Disneyland. Just have fun. Yeah. You remember, it's fun. I mean, that's just exactly. have fun because even to find those places, you have to like talk to people and yeah. don't like go with like this mentality. That, oh, you have to do like just go enjoy your time. That's exactly. what vacation is for. I mean, uh, for us, um, for people who don't generally live inside that country, I. It, I would imagine that even just a walk down the street could be an, uh, an experience and an adventure within itself, which isn't really something that you can get a whole lot of in this country. I would say maybe like a handful of places, New York, New Orleans, um, uh, possibly Los Angeles or San Francisco, uh, even parts of Miami or Orlando here. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely like, our preferred method of traveling is walking. Like once we set up base in a hotel, Airbnb or wherever we're staying, I love to just walk like to a, honestly, even if it's an hour long walk, what else do you got to do? And you are exploring something new. It's, it's kind of like when you play video games and the whole map is black and mm-hmm. then you're just uncovering little sections and you're like, Oh wow. I didn't know this was here. This is that. Okay. And, and then you can kind of trace it with like your Google maps. So you still know where you're going. And by the way, downloading Google Maps offline is such a key because if you lose internet or whatever it may be, you still know how to get back and forth from where, where you're at. That was such a great uh, tip that I learned, <laughs> honestly. So was, was it like, <clears throat> it was easy traveling, you know, like even with, with all you need is a map, you know, like you just need to go walk. Is there, um, in, that, in that part, like, is just wake up. You do have, like you said, you don't have every day planned, but like, how are people receptive to like you going to somewhere else? Were they welcoming? Did you ever, I guess my question is, did you ever have an incident where you like had trouble where you were? Okay, so first of all, there was never a place in which I felt unsafe. Because I feel like a lot of propaganda and the news the media in general tries to scare you over the world. And I have never, and Audrey, my fiance as well, walking down the streets anywhere was never had an issue. Like we never felt unsafe. Everybody has been very, very friendly uh, and just welcoming because it's such a like, misconception to me. Um, but no, we've, we've had a real good time. Everywhere we walk to, especially if you learn a few words in the local language, like I always learn how to say, please, thank you, hello, and maybe like a goodbye, you know? And if you put a little bit of effort, they really like that. Uh, like for example, in Japan, like if you, a lot of people speak English and you'll be able to get around. But if you just say a few things, like, like oh, excuse me, so be my son. They're like, oh, wow, he's trying. 
and they go an extra effort and they really do help you out. Like I, I would look lost on, on looking at Google Maps on my phone trying to find the next train and somebody would be like, hey, do you need help? And I was like, oh my God, yes, thank you. Like very friendly. Like, and we had that treatment in a lot of places around the world. So it was never like, oh, get out, foreigner. We're not going to help you. Like, no, <laughs> people were nice. You'd be surprised how nice people are around the world. Yeah, I think that's that that's that's awesome here. I think that I mean that's definitely goes into the kitchen itself. You know, like mm. maybe you have a kitchen where you have different languages and you have to figure out how to communicate. That's part of the the culinary world. I think I yeah. I love it. I think it's it's great to hear that, and I, I think it's very important that that gets pushed more uh, with with our media. Like not everyone hates Americans. <laughs> like you're not gonna yeah. get attacked when you go to, to anywhere. <laughs> yeah. No reason. You know, it, it's funny you say that because one of the biggest challenges that anyone will face in a kitchen because it's a, it's a, a kitchen is a melting pot of cultures and people. The the biggest challenge in that um, is the language barrier. Um, so one thing that I've done is. Um, one of the biggest uh, uh, ethnicities in the kitchen are people who are Hispanic people. And um, I know that they're trying to speak English and it's a little mixed. Sometimes their accent comes in a little thick and it's a little hard to understand them. So what I try to do is I try to learn a little bit about their language, try to speak it a little bit because they're trying. So I, I uh-huh. see it in a way, why shouldn't I try as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm telling you, just just the the thank you, hello, like a quick greeting, mm-hmm. and just please, that'll get you so far in life. It really goes a long way. Yeah, just be a, a nice person. A hello. Yeah. I don't know. Um, let me go here. Yeah, you said you you said you had a for your your show now. You have a a Mother's Day episode. Hi. Yeah, so we're, we're doing a Mother's Day episode on our YouTube channel, uh, Dish It All Out. Uh, so I ended up doing uh, a paella recipe with my mom. Uh, and that was nice. It's kind of like her little recipe that she's been doing for like when we have big family events. This time we toned it down a notch and did it just for like a four-person serving. And uh, it was just fun. It was the first time that I filmed a whole like episode and, and recipe with her. And it's a good time, honestly. We teach you the beginning to end cooking everything from scratch and we should be releasing it shortly so hopefully you have time to get your ingredients and maybe you can do this for mother's day for you you know <laughs> and it's honestly it's just nice to spend time with family and just cook with them especially since we spent so much time abroad and away from everybody it's kind of how we bond and just get together you, you have some wine you drink together you cook together and then you eat it together like hey yeah, just hang out <laughs> Yeah, bro. That sounds so cool. That sounds that that sounds awesome. Um, so, what in your travels? What would you say? You, it's it's hard to pick, but what would you say was your favorite? I guess dish or place that you went to. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> um, oh boy. Okay, so in the eight months, we hit eighteen countries. And I got to narrow it down to maybe a top, a top three. The top, yeah, yeah, top three. Give me your top three. Okay, top three. <laughs> so in, in general, I'm going to just go with countries. I want to put France as number three. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> I love all you French people. Um, Italians. A hundred percent. That's my number two. And number one, I'd have to say Japan. Um, the food in all of these countries, well, first of all, in their cultures, all of them, they really care about their ingredients and their foods and their preparation. Uh, Jesus. Uh, in France, uh, we stayed in a bed and breakfast with uh, this awesome host. Uh, his name is Jean-Philippe and his partner, Luke. And they made us this delicious truffled eggs and they had the whole truffles just grated it over so the way that they prepare it is um, 
So in America, we do our scrambled eggs usually in a pan. What they do is put it over a double boiler. So a pot with boiling water and like a, a nice bowl up top. And that'll cook the eggs nice and gently. Uh, so it leaves it almost very creamy. And then they start grating uh, truffles, whole black truffles on top. And oh my goodness, is that a rich, rich dish. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm pretty hungry. You've been talking about that. I got to eat breakfast. <laughs> you know what? And by the way, that was the first time I have ever had real truffles. If, okay, so everybody back home, if you have had truffle oil and things drizzled in truffle and you go to a restaurant and you order truffles, yeah, you're getting truffle oil. That is completely different from whole real truffles. Man, it is strong. Like it just, it's really overpowering in your mouth and it's just really good. You got to try one day, but don't trust the, when you see it on a restaurant. And usually it's just the oils. Um, and Jesus, okay, Italy. What can I say about pasta? <laughs> Fresh pasta and all of these delicious sauces and everything. Um, okay, so another one. I stayed in a bed and breakfast. Uh, it's called the Selva and Chianti. Uh, and it's this couple, uh, Bernardo, he's an amazing, amazing chef. Uh, I love following their Instagram because they post, uh, uh, they're cooking every day. Uh, he, they make breads, pastas, and he taught me how to make uh, tortellonis. So it's kind of like tortellinis, but a little bit bigger. It's kind of the uh, stuffed pasta. Uh, it has less dough than raviolis because raviolis you stack. So this one you fold over itself and you, it's, I'm trying to describe the shape for people that aren't watching. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like uh, folding a pasta over your ring finger. And we stuffed that with, uh, let's see, with, I believe it was ricotta and lemon zest. And it is so, so good. Just making that fresh mm -hmm. pasta with the eggs. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, what sauce did it go with? Uh, was it? Uh, you know what? I'd have to look up this recipe if you want. Give me a sec. <laughs> but I think that, you know what? No. Um, I believe that was, so they have the special kind of uh, cream cheese. I think, I believe it's called raviola or raviola. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, pronunciations. I have to look this up. But that and just lime zest. It's really, really, with a little bit of pasta sauce. Oh, sorry, pasta water. Mm -hmm. that'll kind of emulsify it and it's a nice like creamy sauce yeah 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 uh the, pot, the water that the pasta is cooked in mm -hmm. uh it's just riddled with starch content which is uh, i've seen a lot of chefs use that water to help thicken a sauce it brings a lot of uh flavor and body into the sauce itself mm -hmm. so like if you don't have like a roux and you need your water your sauce to to thicken up just even just by a little bit Add a touch of that uh, uh, pasta water, mm -hmm. let it boil, let it reduce just by a bit, and then you have such an amazing sauce. Yeah, and most people throw it away, and that's a base for a lot of the pasta sauces, even mm -hmm. like uh, your carbonara sauce or a bunch of sauces. So everybody back home, please don't throw it out. <laughs> you can use that. <laughs> Jar it up and save it for later. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Or were we? Oh, Japan. Jesus, Japan. They have so many. Uh, Aren't you wearing like, uh, isn't huh? that what you're wearing from Japan? Or no? Oh, yeah. So I ended up getting one of these Japanese yukatas. And it's basically like a robe, but it's so, so comfortable. And during quarantine, like, I haven't taken this off. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> it's so comfy. And, and it's it's cool because over there it's normal people go out in the streets and just hang out go get groceries like you see people walking around in this kind of outfit so it, it's not just uh loungewear it's also outdoor uh the main difference is that the uh the belt uh this one is like a thinner one so it's an indoor but when you go outdoor they have a more proper uh and more uh it's a it's a different kind of belt that it kind of shows that you're going outdoors, more respectful. So there's a respectable version and the indoor version. Oh yeah. So <clears throat> what, 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 where in Japan, uh, do you remember uh, where were you in Japan or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we spent about three weeks there. We did Tokyo, Kyoto, 
and the region where the snow monkeys are is called Yudanaka. Uh, and honestly, uh, let's see, the food was good everywhere. But one of my favorite parts was going to the, uh, to the markets in Kyoto and the, in, in Tokyo. Uh, the fish market in Tokyo was so nice. We did a, uh, I highly recommend, by the way, getting a tour guide. So what we did was just got an Airbnb experience and uh, they'll help you out because it's nice to have a translator and not just that, but somebody to point out, hey, this, this shop has the best of Wagyu beef. This shop has the best tea. This one has the best crab. So you get to go to like the specialty places. So you never have a bad meal. Um, but yeah, the Wagyu beef, I have never had a legit Wagyu beef. Uh, and they have a rating system. Uh, the top top is an A5. Uh, so I had just an A4. And Jesus, it is so buttery and fatty. It's a very, very thin cut that we had. But it's still so rich and flavorful. Because a lot of the flavor of the steak is in the fat. And because it's so fatty and marbly, it was just amazing. Uh, the sushi there. The, the fish in general is just on point. Uh, we, so there's this very uh, famous chain there called uh, Sushi Zanmai. And the owner is actually the one that you usually see on the news that they spent a million dollars. Somebody bought a million dollar bluefin tuna. So that's the guy. Uh, so we ended up going to that chain and it's, they have really good quality tuna. And they even have a fish tank in the back that if, if you order certain fish, they'll go ahead you know, kill it and cut it for you right there, sashimi style, and make so, sushi. Would you say in that in that area, like the in the markets, <clears throat> the fish there is pretty fresh. It's like right out the water, right? Uh, is it, so, I don't know if it's right out the water, but it's for the most part fresh. Well, every morning, I believe at five or six a.m., they have the auctions, and it's right next door. So they have the the fish market in Tokyo, the one that you're talking about is divided into two it's the wholesale and then the uh public open to the public section and it's kind of like a like stands everywhere so the wholesalers bring all the fish from the farm from the fishermen every day and then they transfer it over so yeah it's you're getting good stuff and again they they really care about it so like if it has any imperfection uh, they just don't use it or they they use it for other purposes Maybe for like soups and broths, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the quality stuff that you're going to eat raw or when it's the star of the dish, they really make sure that it's top-notch. Absolutely. Uh, I do want to ask you a question on that, though. Um, Would you say there is a difference in uh, food quality uh, when you – in sushi restaurants? Like, say, going to a – an authentic sushi restaurant here in America versus going to a sushi restaurant in Japan. Would you say there's a, a different level of quality in those, uh, in those two aspects? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think that it all depends on the individual place. I think that you can have good quality sushi and fish here in the States. Mm-hmm. The difference is that in Japan, there is more abundance of quality places. Here, you have to find one that is actually reputable and is actually good. So there's more of a chance that you might have a mediocre one here as opposed to over there. Mm-hmm. So it's more about quantity. But you can definitely have a good one. We have great places here as well. It's just over there, it's more common to have right. better ones. I think right. the best ship, there's one place in Miami that, that I'll never forget I went to, and it's by far the best, which is uh, Shibui. I don't know if you've ever been there. No, I haven't been there. It's like in Miami Lakes, like right in front of you. I don't, the, it has to be fresh because it's like the best that I've ever had, at least. <laughs> I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, Josh, anything? Well, um, to kind of touch up on that question. Uh, that I just asked. Um, if you notice, uh, have uh, have you eaten at uh, Indian restaurants? Are you a fan of Indian food? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we lived almost four years in California, mm. and so it's real popular back uh, back home in, in Cali. 
uh, yeah, love, love the food over there. I think it's one of the best uh, types of foods. Personally, it's one of my favorite things to eat. Mm-hmm. However, um, so one of the biggest things that, uh, the most interesting things that I've learned about Indian food uh, when trying to get into it is that uh, almost every Indian restaurant here in America is a more simplified and uh, dumbed down version of flavor and quality wise uh, versus the authentic um, Indian cuisine straight from the source. Uh, it's because natural Indian food, it's a lot spicier. It's a lot uh, more savory. And a lot of people here can't really handle that. So um, to sort of not really repeat, but um, based on your travels and your culinary experience eating, uh, was there ever a place where you ate authentic cuisine of that culture and then you tried it here in America and you saw like a huge difference? Yeah. Um... So you got to remember that restaurants are here to cater to their customers and right. to make a profit in America, Americans in general, we have a certain taste and things that we're used to. For example, we don't enjoy bones. <laughs> if we can be boneless, we usually go that route. Uh, but then for example, uh, a lot of Asian countries like the bones in, in their dishes and they don't mind. Uh, in Japan, you can have whole fish uh, and a lot of different places, and especially Europe too, uh, in Portugal. It's much more common to have full-blown full fish. But here, the average consumer would prefer a filet. Uh, it's just we're used to that kind of convenience. You don't want unedible things on your dishes. But as far as individual, I'm trying to think, you know what? Gelato was much more rich in Italy. I haven't had a good version of that back home in the States. Uh, maybe I have, just haven't had a good place, but it's usually more icy. Mm. Over there, it's much more rich and creamy. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just the kind of ingredients and care or the temperature control. That's something. Um, Do you ever have um, uh, pho? So funny story, we were supposed to go to Vietnam and uh, we made it all the way to the airport. We had all of our bags. We were, where were we? We were in Japan and we were going to go there and we get in, we're checking into the kiosk and she's like, well, where's your visa? And I'm like, no, 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 we don't need a visa. We're, We're American. She's like, no, 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 you need a visa. And I was like, what? Okay, well, we'll just, we'll buy, we'll, we'll get it when we get there. You know, usually a lot of countries will give you a visa on arrival and they'll just stamp it once you're there. And she's like, no, you don't get it. Vietnam doesn't do that. You, you need it before you get onto the flight. And I'm like, okay, fine, fine. Give me a second. I'll go online and just order a visa. We go online and try to get it. Three to five business days. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so, yeah, we, we lost that flight. <laughs> <laughs> And we ended up going to South Korea instead, which was was a great alternative, anyways. But but no, I, I wasn't able to get uh, authentic pho. No, <laughs> that's a good story. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things that you learn, you live and you learn. <laughs> so you you asked before, like, oh, did everything go smoothly? No, of course not. <laughs> but you know, you, you gotta roll with the punches, you know. <laughs> Little behind the scenes action there. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, what uh, um, in Korea? What's the? Uh, well, you, you said you went to Korea. Yeah, yeah. What's the the main the main thing over there? What's uh, what do they eat the most? Oof. So Korea, which by the way, we have a uh, cooking video. I did another cooking class in Korea, so we got that coming up on our YouTube channel. That's awesome. Um, they have. I I don't have the name of it off the top of my head, but they are very big into certain spices. Uh, They have a Korean chili paste that they use. Um, It's, they also have a special kind of fermented soy bean paste that they use. Uh, They, we actually went to the market where they, you can see they sell it in these giant blocks. Uh, they don't make it uh, at home because it gets so stinky. So they just buy it on the blocks and then they can use pieces of it. Um, 
that and kimchi. Kimchi is their, man, they use that for everything. They really like fermented products. Uh, so fermented vegetables um, and a lot of side dishes. If you've never been to a Korean barbecue place or a Korean restaurant, you've got your meats and then they give you, I don't know, four to five or a lot of different little uh, dishes. It can be some pickled daikon, uh, some uh, it's usually a lot of pickled items and little samplers. Uh, so I feel like that, that's a very like unique thing to them. Eh? They have multiple side sides and then yeah. they put it into one plate. Pretty yeah, much. So, so you can kind of just pick at a little bit, kind of like a little palate cleanser, have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, and that's really, really neat. I, I really enjoyed that part. Um, and you know what? I got to say something on the record. Best fried chicken in the world has to go to Koreans. Oof. Sorry, oh, wow. Koreans make the best <laughs> fried chicken in the world. I can hear our email. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I said it. I, they, it's so, Kentucky. so good. Kentucky's banning all of us now. <laughs> I, I, I love KFC, but my Korean friends, <laughs> you won this one. <laughs> it's, it's just so, so crispy um i i think it's the kind of flour that they use if i'm not mistaken uh, i believe they might use a rice flour or cornstarch and that just gives it a nice extra crunch and that spicy uh, it's like a special kind of spicy chili paste sauce that you have. it's like a sweet spicy dipping sauce that's very common with that man that that duo right there is just so good <laughs> That sounds good. Um, yeah. So what's your, whenever this coronavirus, uh, you know, or COVID-19, whatever, whatever it's called, um, whenever it's over, COVID-19, not whatever it's called, I know yeah, it's yeah. called, but <laughs> uh, whenever it's uh, over and we get to travel, where's uh, where's your next uh, plan? Where, where, are you go- where are you going from here? <sighs> well, we got to see, but our original plan was cut short about, three to four months. So we kind of had an itinerary, but you know, that all went to shit. Yeah. So we wanted to finish Southeast Asia, then do a little bit of India, Andaman Islands, Maldives, and then Africa. So doing the islands on the outskirts, uh, Mauritius, Seychelles, and then South Africa. And then we were supposed to loop back home to the U.S. Um, so I would love nothing more than to be able to finish that route but you know everything's kind of up in the air we don't really know what's going to happen yet so again we don't know when but when things open up i would love to finish that um so i recently got engaged so i was telling my fiance like well i guess that's our honeymoon (laughs) we just finished what we were supposed to do (laughs) yeah congratulations by the way ah thank you thank you engagement Um, so how do you think, uh, do you think, do you think the COVID-19 is going to, um, I think me personally, I think it's going to affect positively. I think, um, it's a time to reflect and try to be as positive as possible with this going on. Do you think that's going to, is it a positive or is it a negative that's happening, uh, right now? Uh, do you think there's the, like, there's obviously a light at the end of the tunnel, where do you think it goes from here? Do you think the continental world will bounce back from this? Is there more that we could do? Um, how do you feel in that aspect? I, I think, honestly, in the short term, obviously it's negative. But in the long term, I think people are so much more self-aware of what they're putting into their body. Not only because there might be scarcity in the uh, grocery stores. They can't find the products that they like. So people have resorted to making it at home. How many people during this quarantine have cooked for the first time ever? (laughs) There are some people that are so used to going to their restaurants or eating out so often that they're learning. And not only are they learning, but they're learning how difficult it is, how difficult, like, or how, how challenging it's been for them to recreate the dishes that they usually eat and it not coming out that way. So I feel like they value the love and work and effort 
that chefs put into their product and the ingredients as well. Like now that you're taking the time and picking and choosing what you're buying because of the scarcity, you, you try to nourish yourself and get more nutritious items, more wholesome foods. Uh, you're not getting as much highly processed junk food, you know, or at least we're trying not to. <laughs> and, and just being aware of what it is. Uh, you know, a, a big thing for me that's been an eye-opener from all of our travels is, I feel like three. One, corn syrup. Nobody else uses corn syrup the way that we do here in America because we produce a lot of corn and we, we want to use our domestic product and it's cheaper than importing all of the sugar. So I understand why we do it for the profits. But concentrated corn syrup is not a good thing for us. <laughs> and a lot of the world doesn't use that. Um, secondly, our eggs. The eggs here, I don't know if you've noticed, if you buy a regular pack of eggs, the egg yolks are just yellow. Everywhere else around the world, it is a bright, bright, rich orange hue. And that's just because of the feed and the, the way that we grow it, you know? Like, we're just pumping eggs <laughs> and it's just, they don't taste like anything. If you have a nice, rich orange yolk, you'll be able to taste the flavor as opposed to the egg, the traditional eggs that we have here, it, it, it almost tastes like, like water. And, and, and thirdly, tomatoes. I, the tomatoes here taste like watermelon to me. Uh, when you go abroad and you have a rich tomato, it's, it's like, it's just so much more flavorful. You can taste the actual tomato taste of it. And it's almost like a, like an olive oil-y kind of flavor in the tomatoes. But here, it, it, it's just, it, it tastes so watered down, almost like you're eating a watermelon, honestly. Like, so I really hope that people now appreciate their foods, you know, and just think of where it comes from. You know, now that we're also focusing on the import and export, some people have even been growing their own herbs, you know, maybe you started a little basil uh, garden in the back because it can be quite expensive for that one dish to buy a $3 pack of basil and then you use a quarter of it. And then by the time you realize it, it went bad in the fridge. Yeah. So just having a little herb garden will save you so much money in the long run if you're cooking on the regular. Yeah. So. Yeah. You yeah, save so. money on groceries and you get some pretty good products. Yeah. And it's fresh. Like personally, I hate using dry herbs. Uh, it's it's almost like a sin to me. So if I can always get fresh, I'm gonna go and do that. Yeah. Um, well, do you have anything anything you want to close with? Anything else? Uh, Tell well, the fans, I mean, holler out to your fans. <laughs> I mean, honestly, first of all, thank you guys for having me on the show. Uh, it's Ooh. been a great pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for everybody for, for watching and honestly cheering us on and helping us through our travels and really supporting our channel. Um, so again, we have our YouTube channel. It's called Dish It All Out. We have our Instagram and Facebook as well. And usually on Instagram, I'll be posting like daily stories of our foods and things that we cook on the regular. And on YouTube, I'm, we're trying to have different series built out. Right now, we have a few of the Cooking Abroad series, so it's things that we've already filmed. It just takes forever for editing, so please be patient. <laughs> we're trying really hard. <laughs> and, and then now we're also cooking things at home, so showing you home recipes. So we've got the authentic things, our fusion things, the easy things, and we're going to get into the items that will help you be a better and more efficient home cook. Uh, the things that make my life easier will usually you'll find some benefit in it and maybe you can adapt it into your normal cooking as well. So really want to help share the knowledge that I've learned and just bring it back home and make you a more confident cook. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank you, man. Um, we'll definitely do this again. This is not, you know, <laughs> uh, not the last time we'll, you'll, you'll be on the show. So we'll definitely 
whenever you get back out there, we're definitely going to bring you back on. It's been super fun. Um, I, I love your idea of like family and the love for the care of the food. I think that's something we need to, we definitely need to get more of in this country, um, taking care of our bodies, but also having that connection with family and just enjoying food, you know, caring about what you put into your body. That's a big deal. Um, Josh, you got anything, bro? Uh, no, just, uh, just to sort of repeat what he said, we appreciate you, you coming on. Um, we've been looking forward to this for quite a bit. Uh, Carlos was hounding us like, we got to be up at seven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah this, it, it was not easy because I woke up like at six and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> I've not been up this early in a long time. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, no, uh, definitely the thing uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate your insights and uh, to, to sort of get into your mind a little bit and to hear your experiences and your thoughts on everything that we talked about. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for yeah, having me. <laughs> definitely. All right. So what do we do now? Uh, so let's send a shout out to um, Anchor. Uh, this is, this whole podcast will be on Anchor and it's a great system. Um, it's super easy. Me and Josh knew nothing about like podcasts and we wanted to do this and just, uh, to have fun with it. Um, and you literally just open up account, set up a name and just go. It's really that simple, bro. Um, and for the people like me that, that don't know what anchor is, what, what is it? It's pretty much a platform. So it's, uh, you go on, you can probably look it up on Google, look up on, on Google Anchor, and it's a platform and it pretty much sends your podcast out to different platforms. So like we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on oh, okay. uh, all the major platforms, but it does that for you. Like it, mm. it makes it the easiest possible way. You just download it onto Anchor and then Anchor will uh, send it out to the other platforms where people okay. can listen. Um, and yeah, it's super easy, bro. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we'll bring you back on here. Uh, when you have some more, we all have some more, uh, knowledge to, to get done. I think that's a big, a big thing. Knowledge, learn, explore. Um, that's what we're all here to do. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, brother. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.